the 22nd chapter, we find a very interesting passage. In this chapter, the Lord is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel, and God is frankly disgusted at what he sees in Israel. And through much of the chapter, God is outlining there in Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, everything that's going wrong in Israel. He says that the people have been given into just about every kind of, of wickedness and sin and temptation that you can imagine. He looks across Israel and he sees idolatry, sexual immorality. He sees violence and bloodshed. He sees greed and wickedness. He sees many of the things that we see in our world today. And God tells Ezekiel that his judgment and his wrath is going to be rained down on Israel. He calls the people dross. He says they're like rubbish or waste, and they're about to be discarded. And then in verse 30, we find perhaps the saddest verse of the entire passage when he says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. But I found none. God says that he looked out across the people and he looked for someone, somebody, somewhere that would stand up. Someone that would stand in the gap that would stand between the people and God. Someone that would make up a hedge or a buffer between God and the people. Someone that would make a commitment to God and give God a reason to not destroy His people. But he couldn't find anyone. No one was willing to make a commitment to God and stand in the gap. If you remember back when Moses gave the law to the people, the children of Israel committed to keep all the law that they had been given. If you look at Exodus, the 24th chapter in the 7th verse, it says, And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All the Lord hath said we will do, and we will be obedient. If you were here last week, you heard Anthony talk about the dangers of disobedience, and he talked some about the children of Israel and the things that they went through and the ups and downs, periods they, were, they would go through where they would be committed to God and they would follow through with His will. And then he'd go, they would go through these periods of disobedience where their commitment would wane and they would get away from God. And there in Ezekiel, they've gotten so far away from God that commitment to God had faded so far away that God couldn't find even a single person that will stand for Him, be committed to Him. And you could probably theorize on how Israel got into this situation, but I think at the very root of the problem for the children of Israel was a lack of commitment. There was no one that was willing to commit themselves to serving God. That willingness to truly commit was lacking. And it led them away. And I think that a lot of times today we see a similar problem 
with our commitment. At different times in all of our lives, we have made a commitment to one thing or another. And you might have committed yourself to any number of things, and a lot of them might not be very consequential in the grand scheme of things. You you might have committed at the beginning of this school year, you know, we're a month or two into this school year, and you might have committed, you know, this is the year that I'm finally going to get good grades. I'm going to commit myself that I'm going to get, I'm going to study, I'm going to get all A's this semester, right? You might have committed to a diet or an exercise program, or you might have committed to something more important. You might have stood before a crowd of people and told a young woman or a young man that you would be committed to them until death alone parts you. Or as parents, you might have made a commitment that that child that's sitting next to you or sitting in your lap, you committed that you were going to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Or you might have stood up here and you might have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and committed to him in baptism and committed yourself to live faithfully for him. And as we look throughout this country and we look throughout our churches and we look throughout our families and we look in our own lives, we often see a history of broken commitments. We see husbands and wives not truly committing to one another and another family being broken in divorce. We see church directories full of people not here. Recently, we've begun taking pictures. We're putting together a new church directory, right? It's been a few years since we put together a church directory. And if you look back at our previous church directory, you would find probably 230, 240 people in that church directory. And if you look at our crowd here this morning, I haven't counted uh, what our attendance here this morning is. It's probably somewhere in the 125 to 135 range here this morning. Just barely half of what was in our previous church directory. And if you are here tonight, on Sunday night, or if you're here Wednesday night, you'll see even less here in our audience. Where is the commitment? Where's the dedication Where is the family that is willing to stand in the gap for the Lord? I believe that in this country, and at times in our own families, and at times in the church, we have an epidemic failure of commitment. So this morning we're going to talk about commitment. What it means to commit to something. What causes us to fail to keep our commitments, and a few things that we can do to help be better at keeping our commitments. The first thing that we need to understand is what it means to commit to something. In the New Testament, the word that is translated commit or commitment is paradiomai. 
It means to surrender, to yield up, to entrust. To make a commitment to something means more than than just deciding we want to do something. It means to surrender ourselves to it. We give ourselves to it. It's more than just deciding we're going to do something. It is the sacrificing of ourselves in the pursuit of something. I think that a big problem that we have is that we confuse the idea of being interested in something and being committed to something. We think that those are the same, and it's important, it's vital for us to realize that there is a monumental difference between these two things. To be interested in something means that you know, we, we like it, we're, we, we want to hear about it. We might even spend some time practicing or working at it. We might want to know more about it. But commitment means that we give ourselves to the pursuit of, of something. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our energy. We sacrifice our money to obtain it. We surrender ourselves to it. When I think about the difference between the two, being interested in something and being committed to something, I think about the story about the chicken and the pig. One time there was this chicken and there was this pig that had, they had been friends for a while and they decided that they were going to go into business together and they were going to open up a restaurant. And the chicken and the pig were, were planning out the menu, they were deciding what they were going to serve, they, decided, they, they had this plan for what the restaurant was going to be and then they decided, you know, we need to decide what we're going to call it. What are we going to put on the sign? What's going to be the, the, the restaurant and the theme and what kind of food we're going to, going to serve? And the chicken goes to the pig, and the the chicken says, you know what, we're going to call this restaurant, we're going to call it Bacon and Eggs, right? We're going to serve breakfast all day long, and people are going to come here, and they're going to love it. We're going to serve, we're going to serve eggs, we're going to serve breakfast, we're going to serve sausage, we're going to serve bacon, we're going to serve all these things, people are going to love it. People are going to be lined up outside of Bacon and Eggs. And the pig, you know, he sort of, Steps back and he does, you know what, I don't know if that's a good idea, right? And the chicken is a little bit confused. He thinks, you know what, this is a fail-proof business model. We're going to make money hand over fist. And the pig says, well, that might be the case. But you need to think about what you're, you're saying here. It might be a good idea for you, chicken. All you have to do is give us the eggs. You'll be involved. You'll be interested. But when it comes to that bacon that we're going to serve, I'm going to be committed. There's going to be no turning back for me. We think that we're committed to something when we're actually only interested. The chicken was interested in opening a restaurant. He was willing to provide some eggs. But the pig, he would have had to have been committed. He would have had to give everything that he had to provide that bacon. We're interested in being a good servant, a good student. We're interested in going to school. We're interested in getting good grades. But until we commit to that, we're never going to spend the time. We're never going to spend the energy necessary to succeed. We might be interested in marriage. 
We like the idea of starting a family, of settling down with that person that we think that we're so in love with. But if we lack commitment, we'll refuse to do the things that are necessary to have a godly home and a godly marriage. We're interested in Christianity, right? We hear people get up here and preach about peace and forgiveness and love and all the things that Christianity affords us. But we lack commitment to sacrifice the things of this world. We refuse to to give up our own will to follow in the path that Christ walked. And eventually that interest fades away. And if there isn't a true commitment to following the will of God, we'll end up falling away from God. We'll end up getting away from the church. We'll end up being one of those people that the next time that we make a church directory, we're going to look at the directory and think, you know what, what happened to that person? Where did they go? We need to go visit them. We had not seen them in a while. Psalms, the 37th chapter and the 5th verse says, Commit thy ways unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. To be pleasing to God requires a commitment to Him. He doesn't want someone who is interested in Him. He wants people who are committed to Him. He doesn't want someone who from time to time plays the role of a Christian. He wants people who are committed to Him, who will surrender themselves to Him. And without that commitment, when it's our time to stand in the gap, we'll be nowhere to be found. If I were to ask you what your goal as a Christian should be, what would you say? What is our goal as a Christian? And you might say, well, you know what? I want to help my fellow man. I want to be a good person. I want to help people around me. And that's a good thing. But I don't think that's a complete answer. And someone might say, well, I just want to worship God how He told us to worship, right? That's my goal. And again, that's a good answer. But I don't think it's a complete answer. So what what is the the right answer, Jeff? Romans, the 8th chapter, says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many many brethren. The goal of a Christian is to be conformed to the image of Christ. To strive to be like Him. And if we will do that, all the other stuff that we talk about, whether it's being a good person, a good father, a good mother, helping those around us, loving those around us, being in heaven one day, all of those things will fall into place if we succeed at this goal of conforming our life to Jesus. And if we conform our life to the image of of God's Son, we will have a strong sense of commitment to God. Christ often talked about the necessity of fully committing to God. If you look at Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 25 through 27, it says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also... He cannot be my disciple. 
And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Christ said that if you were going to be his disciple, if you were going to follow him, you must be willing to sacrifice all. You must be willing, if necessary, to forsake everything you have in service to him. Nothing can come before your commitment to God. Those things that you like to do on Sunday night and Wednesday night or maybe Sunday morning, the things that you like to do, whether it's school or whether it's putting in extra hours at work or whether it's going to the lake or going to the golf course, do those things come before God? What about your family? What about your mom or your dad? or your kids, and what they want in their life, or your brothers or sisters, or even your own life. Do those things come before your commitment to God? Basically what he's saying, that you can't be just interested in Christianity. It can't be something that's part of your life. It can't be something that you display three and a half hours a week if you're here every service. Christianity isn't part of your life. Your service to God should be your life. And then he says that to properly be his disciples, you must pick up your cross and follow him. And then he says, little, he says that you must fully commit to him. And little did the crowd know at this time the full significance of, and the symbolism of what he was saying when Jesus was talking about this. But just a short time later, they would fully realize what Jesus was meaning when he said this. When he, 1 Peter, the second chapter in the 21st, 23rd verse says, Who, speaking of Christ, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Peter said that Christ committed himself to God. He fully dedicated himself in his service to his heavenly Father. And this was exemplified when he was betrayed, when he was reviled, and it was on full display when he was beaten and he was, when he was mocked. It was made clear to us when he picked up that cross and walked that road to Calvary. Because you see, once a condemned prisoner picked up that cross, his destination was sealed. There was no turning back at that point. If you were going to be crucified, you weren't going to pick up that cross and then decide halfway the trip, through the trip, you know what, guys? I decided, you know what, i got something else going on this afternoon. I've got some other things I need to deal with, so I'm going to put down this cross. I'll be back tomorrow, or I might come back next week and finish this. I'm not really interested in this anymore. Once you picked up that cross, you were committed to your destination. Once Christ picked up that cross, he was committed to fulfill his Father's will and sacrifice himself for our sins. And he asks us to pick up our cross and follow him. 
And what he's really saying is, once you decide to be my disciple, once you decide that you want to follow me, you've got to be committed. You have got to give yourself to me. And that requires a full commitment. But so often, we fail to keep our commitments. We decide that that cross is just too heavy. We decide that, that we aren't going to pick it up anymore. Maybe we decide that, that we don't even want to pick up that cross in the first place. And we decide we don't want to make any sort of commitment to God. So what are some of the reasons that this happens? Why do we fail to make or even keep our commitments? First, I think that some people fear the consequences of that commitment. They look at the cost of the commitment and it scares some people. In John, the 12th chapter, verses 42 through 43, it says, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess, lest they should be put out of the synagogues. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. The religious leaders heard what Jesus had been teaching, and some of them believed, but they wouldn't commit to him. They wouldn't commit to following Jesus because it would have meant that they would have lost their social status. They would have lost their political status. They weren't ready to commit because they weren't ready to pay the price for that commitment. And there are so many people like this today. They won't commit because they aren't ready to pay the price themselves. People won't commit to God because that might mean that others around them might look at them differently. They might not have the same relationships that they had before. They might not be able to do some of the same things that they were doing before. They look at what they would have to give up to be committed to God and to them, it's just not worth it. Some people are like old King Agrippa. They like their position in life or they like where they are or who they are. They like who they have as their friends or they enjoy the sin that they're involved in. <coughs> they're having too much fun. They enjoy the drugs they enjoy the partying. They enjoy the sexual immorality that they're involved in. They don't want to leave it behind. And they end up just like Agrippa, saying, almost. You know, almost you persuaded me to be a Christian. You almost got me to commit. But I'm not going to do that. That means that I'm going to have to change what I'm doing. <clears throat> that would mean that I'm going to have to change where I go or who I hang out with. It might mean that I won't make as much money. Or I'll have to come to church more often. And I don't have time for that. So I'm not going to make that commitment. <coughs> Excuse me. Others fail in their commitment because things get hard. Trouble comes or things get difficult. And the commitment that you made falls away. 
I'm reminded of someone in the Scriptures that you might not remember. Acts, the 15th chapter, verses 37 through 38. It says, And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. During one of Paul's missionary journeys, John Mark agreed to travel with them. But for one reason or another, John Mark decided that he was no longer interested in going with Paul. Oh, thank you, Sean. My throat was getting a bit dry, and Sean was kind enough to notice. I recently passed a milestone. I turned 40 a couple of weeks ago, and I realized that I'm getting old and things are falling apart, and apparently my voice is being added to the list of... uh, things that are falling apart. But John Mark, you know, he was on this missionary journey and he decided that once reality set in, once he realized that, you know, he had these grand ideas of what things were going to be like when he traveled with Paul, perhaps. He might have thought that they were going to get to travel like rock stars. They were going to be able to see the world He was going to be able to go around and do all these cool things. He might even gain some fame along these missionary journeys with Paul. But once reality set in, and it wasn't as glamorous as he thought, or maybe when the work really started, and he realized that this wasn't going to be as easy as he thought, he left. And he went home. That commitment he had made to Paul faded away. The work started. And things weren't easy. And all of a sudden, that commitment wasn't as important to him anymore. I think a lot of times this happens to us. And the commitments that we have made to others or to God become harder to keep. Once the work starts, we think it's going to be so great. It's going to be so awesome when we get engaged, right? That boy finally gets down on one knee and he puts that ring on our finger and we, we, get, we get engaged or that girl finally says yes and, and we're engaged to that girl of our dreams and then we get to plan the wedding and we get to have the wedding showers and people give us gifts and we get to think about the wedding and the honeymoon and and all those fun things, that stuff that accompanies getting married. But then reality sets in and we realize a few years down the road that marriage isn't like the romantic comedy that we went and saw at the movie theater. And it isn't always a walk in the park. And things aren't always easy. And unfortunately that causes some people to break that commitment that they made to the other person. Or we think that life is going to be so wonderful when we have children, right? We, have, we, get, we see these cute little kids running around, and it'll just be great when I have a, a house full of kids. But then reality sets in, and we realize that it's going to be work sometimes. To get up in the middle of the night and feed that kid over and over and over again and change the 7,000th diaper that 
we've had with that kid. And that kid is, is having to learn some life lessons every once in a while and has to be disciplined and all those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, some people, once life sets in, they realize that this commitment is serious. And some people decide that that commitment that they made to that child when they brought them into this world isn't for them. And people give up their responsibilities to that child. Or we decide we're going to make a commitment to God and be a Christian. We want all that hope and that joy and that peace and and salvation that He offers. We want to be forgiven of our sins. We want all the blessings that Christianity gives us. But then we realize that the struggles don't stop after we're baptized. We realize that sin and temptation still come after we come out of that water. We realize that we still face problems in in this life. And for so many people, they lose sight of the commitment that they made to God. And many people walk away. We end up like John Mark, and we leave when it's time for the work to start. So what do we need to do to make sure that this type of stuff doesn't happen to us? What are some things that we can do to help us make and keep the commitments that we make to others and to God? The first thing that we need to do is that we need to consider what we're doing before we make a commitment. You know, committing to someone to do something shouldn't just be done at the spur of the moment. We need to understand what we're doing and what we're committing to. In Luke, the 14th chapter, verses 28 through 33, and we aren't going to take time to read, to read that passage, Christ is talking about making sure you count the cost of your commitments. He talks about a guy who decides he's going to go to war with somebody else, and he needs to sit down and make sure he's got enough soldiers to fight that army before he goes off to battle. Or the guy that, that decides he's going to build a tower, he needs to make sure he's going to have the money that he needs to build that tower before he gets halfway through it and, and realizes he runs out of money. He says that we need to count the cost. Jesus was teaching that we, before we begin to do something, especially before we make a commitment to follow God, we need to sit down and think about what we're doing. And he isn't trying to, to scare people away from making that commitment. <clears throat> Rather, he is saying that we should do this so that we realize that it's serious business. Committing to someone in marriage is a serious thing. And you need to commit to that. And you need to, before you make that commitment, you need to consider what you're doing. Deciding to be a disciple of, of Christ and becoming a Christian is something that should be seriously considered and thought about, not just something that's done on a whim. Something that should be thoughtfully and prayerfully entered into, not just spurred of the moment. Think about a marathon. Some of you might run or exercise and things like that, and you might have at some point decided, you know what, I want to run in a marathon or half marathon or 10K or something like that. 
you know, they, they run the, the, the Dallas Marathon. It's like the second week end of December each year. You aren't going to decide to run in that marathon like December 2nd, the week before it is. It's something that you're going to have to thoughtfully do. You're going to have to think beforehand, you know, can I do this? Should I do this? Am I able to do this? What am I going to have to give up? What am I going to have to do to prepare myself for this? It's something that you'll have to think through and do. You'll have to count the cost. And that's something trivial. And if we're going to make, put thought and effort into decisions like that, we should much more put thought and effort and time into thinking about the decisions that really matter, about things like marriage, about things like raising our kids, about things like becoming a Christian. And if we'll do this and we'll enter into these, tem- these commitments with the proper attitude and thought, we're much more likely to stick with what we're committing to. The next thing that we need to do is that we need to stay on track. So many times we get off track. We get weighed down and beaten down by the things of this world. And oftentimes it can knock us off track and lose sight of the commitments that we've made. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, should be the first verse, not the 12th verse. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, sin, every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The writer in Hebrews says that we need to put aside all the things that are weighing us down and burdening us, and we need to run the race that is set before us. Like I mentioned in, in the, uh, if you decide you're going to run in the Dallas Marathon this year, they, they put out the, the map each year of the, the, the track you're going to run. And if you would have ran in it last year, this would have been the, the path that you would have t- taken. Started in downtown and ran out a little bit, gone around White Rock Lake and back towards downtown. Before the race is ever run, that path is laid out. There's a finish line that everybody knows. And when you start that race, you're committing to yourself or to your team. If you're running a relay race, you're going to finish that race. You're going to stay on track, and you're going to finish the race. And for somebody like me, it would be so easy to be weighed down and beaten down if I had to run 26.2 miles. That is a long, long way. But if you're familiar with the course, if you're not familiar with it, you could get off track, and it'd make it a whole lot harder to finish that race. You're supposed to go around White Rock Lake there, but if you took a wrong turn down Garland Road, you might end up by 635 and get off track. Our lives and our walk with God and the commitment that we have made with Him can be the same way. We can easily get off track. We can easily let the burdens of this life weigh us down. But we need to get rid of all the other stuff in our life, the sin and the temptation that hurts us and distracts us and gets us off course and keeps us from fulfilling our commitments. And the last thing that we'll mention that will help us keep our commitments is that we need to keep keep in mind the goal. 
Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 61 through 62, says, And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Christ compares our mission as one of his disciples to plowing a field. And I don't know how many of you have ever tried to plow a field. I grew up out in the country a little bit, and we had a little garden. Uh, Most of my life, we had a little uh, vegetable garden that we would grow things in. And I would have to go out there, and I'd have to plow the rows uh, for the garden. And often, when I would get done plowing the rows... I would look back and one of those rows would look like a question mark had been drawn in the dirt there in the vegetable garden. And I would go and I'd try to do it again and it would just, the next one would be crooked and the next one would be crooked. And one day my dad sat me down, or didn't sit me down, told me, stopped me and, and told me, son, you need to keep your eye on where you're going. You're looking around, you're getting distracted, you're getting off track because you're not fixing your eye on where the row needs to be. You know, once I decided to do what he said and keep my eye on the end of the road and, and, or row and, and go straight, it didn't look like question marks anymore there in the dirt. They looked a lot straighter and nicer and neater. So often we get distracted by the things of the world. We look around and we lose sight of the goal and we look and we see our careers And we decide that we want to commit ourselves to our career. And we're going to put on those extra hours. We're going to decide that we want to provide our family with all the luxuries of this life. And we get distracted with those things. And we put in all those extra hours and we neglect our families in the pursuit of money. Or we decide, you know what? No one's ever going to know if I sort of fudge the numbers here or if I do this thing that, you know, it's not exactly right. But no one's ever going to find out about it. So I'm going to compromise my integrity in order to make a little money. Or maybe it's our family. We get distracted by our families and we decide, you know what? My kid has a baseball tournament this weekend. And instead of being at church Sunday morning, I'm going to be down at the baseball field. Or, you know what? I'm going to, my kid... He really, really, really wants to, to go and, and he wants to, to get good grades. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, to sacrifice being at church on Sunday night, Wednesday night, and all those sorts of things because we're going to, we need, he needs to make sure he gets all A's or he's not going to get into the school we want. And that becomes more important than our service to God. We get distracted by all these things around us, and we lose sight of the goal. We decide we want the world more than we want God. We let temptations and the problems of this life creep in, and we end up with a crooked line. We end up off path. But if we'll keep the goal in mind, we'll stay on path, and we'll keep our commitment to God. Philippians, the third chapter, verses 13 through 14, says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, 
forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that he presses towards the mark. He pushes on towards the goal. He forgets those things that are behind him, those things that would get him off track, and he presses on toward the goal. And what is the goal that we're pressing toward as Christians? Like we talked about earlier, it's not being a good person. It's not helping people around us necessarily. It's not even, in reality, heaven. Our goal should be to conform to the image of Christ. Our goal should be our relationship with God. And if we do those things, like I said earlier, all the other things will fall into place. We'll be better husbands. We'll be better wives. We'll be better mothers and fathers. We'll be more gentle and loving and kind. And one day we'll reach heaven. And we will, like we've been talking about this morning, keep those commitments that we've made both to others and to God. At the very beginning of the lesson this morning, we read in Ezekiel where God looked for someone to stand in the gap. Someone to make and keep their commitment to Him and how no one could be found. I hope that when God looks at our home, I hope that when God looks at this church, He doesn't see something like that. Instead, I hope that He sees a body of people that have the type of attitude that we see in Isaiah, the 6th chapter, in the 8th verse. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I hope and pray that we are a people that when God is looking for someone to be committed to Him, we will say, Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm going to be that husband or I'm going to be that wife that is going to be committed to my marriage. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my spouse until death alone parts us. No matter what. We are going to be parents that are going to raise our children in the way that God commands us, no matter what. I'm going to be the father that is going to stand up and lead my house and serve God. I'm going to be the mother that's going to stand with my husband and help him serve God, no matter what. I am going to be the Christian that sacrifices my life to God and is committed to God. And no matter what is thrown at me, no matter what I'm going to have to go through, I am going to give every fiber of my being to conform to the image of Christ. 
I'm going to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Perhaps you are lacking in your commitment to God. And there have been times in all of our lives, if we are honest with ourselves, where we have all waned in our commitment to God. And perhaps you're going through one of those times in your life this morning and you'd like the prayers of the church. We would love to pray with you and for you. Perhaps you've never initially committed to God and decided that you would allow your faith to move you to repent of your sins and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and submit to him in baptism. You'd like to do that this morning and commit yourself to to a life of a child of God. We'd be happy to do that with you and for you this morning. If there's anything we can do for you, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.